From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, it's glad, great to be back with you. I'm glad we have an exciting episode on tap for today. Oh, it's great to be here, Steve. I've been looking forward to get this guest on here probably since day one. I know, I know. We we both uh, are, are in agreement and alignment on this one. And, and one of the reasons before I introduce our guest um, we're, we've just passed episode 100, and we're on our way to mark our the end of our second year. And um, somebody who's inspired us to do podcasting, and also a good friend, and somebody that uh, we we both have a uh, personal relationship with, uh, is our guest today. And he's none other than Tim Albright from uh, from CTI, and also from AV Nation. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, guys. Thank you both. You're very, very kind. Um, well, well, we wanted to have you on because we wanted to, to we've given every one of our guests a chance to talk a little bit about their background and, our, mm-hmm. and their journey. I know that yours touch, touches on a lot of different things. And, and I think that um, the nice part about it is, is that you've gotten a chance to share that with a good number of people in this industry through the podcasting medium and, and it really opened a lot of people's eyes to the value that this could provide. So maybe just for our audience sake, for those that don't know you, just give us a little brief uh, overview of, of your background um, in an AV. And, and also, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about present day stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you guys both. Seriously. It's a great honor. Um, I, you know, um, I, I started out in AV I, I say that I started out in AV at, at the age of 14, um, working at my church's um, production department, right, volunteering. And uh, the, the joke is my first my first gig was was lighting up a T-shirt stand, right, uh, for, for our youth group. And the, the real AV work, though, is, was, you know, um, probably in early 2000s, I had, I had just gotten out of, of broadcasting, uh, working for a college university as a tech manager. And um, doing doing rooms, right? We were responsible for upgrading and, and designing and, and maintaining them. And um, then uh, I slowly but surely started to learn programming. I started learning uh, design. I, I got my CTS uh, during that time, and also uh, also learned how to uh, communicate and, and you know get those ideas out. And we started having conversations both on on Twitter as well as as in person. And some of those conversations uh, led to kind of pontificating and, and chatting back and forth. And quite frankly, Richie Fergoza and, and Bradford Ben are the reason that, that Aviation really exists because it was back in the early days of, of Google Meet. Um, and um, I think it was called Hangouts at, at the time, but um, the two of them uh, answered a call from a, a goofy kid from Southwest Illinois, and we just started chatting. And I'm like, "Well, I could just record this. This is easy." And one thing led to another, <clears throat> and we did episode one, and that was in in the summer of 2011. And, and here we are today. Pretty amazing. And and uh, one thing I know that is really important to you is programming and and mm-hmm. control and maybe share a little bit about that like what, what what's yeah. drawn you to it and and uh, you know how, how do you think it's influenced your career so i i 
very dear. Well, he ended up being a dear, very dear friend. My first meeting with him was rather contentious. Um, James can appreciate this as, as a rep coming into your office going, why aren't you using my product? Right. Uh, Kevin Iselli, who who worked for a, a programming house or a programming manufacturer at the time, walks into my office with an all-in-one box, right? It was it was one of the first, you know, it it could do control, it could do audio, it could do, you know, video switching, and you should use our box. And my response to him was, your stuff is too expensive, and it's too expensive to adjust when I have to hire a programmer at $500 an hour to come and change out something stupid. And I, I had just experienced that, right? I was, I was maybe a year on the job, and we had a, a lecture hall go down on our campus. And it was an old school Barco projector, nothing against the Barco projector. It was 20 years old when we played it, right? So it's not like it crapped out early. The sucker was the size of a Yugo, right? It was hanging in the middle of the, of the auditorium and called up the company that originally put it in. I'm like, okay, I need this, this, and this, and we're going to replace it with, with this. And so they gave me the quote and uh, the line item there that just stuck in my craw, it was $1,000 for Crestron programming, right? To switch out the, the not not for anything else, just to, to switch, change it out. And so I told Kevin, I said, this is stupid. I said, he goes, well, what happened? What, what, what would what would you say if, if you could do it, if we could teach you how to do it? I'm like, sign me up, right? And so I went to my first Crestron programming class and I sat there with my mouth agape at what was possible. Right. And I think that's what attracts me to, to, to programming in general is you you can put automation into darn near anything and streamline and make people's lives easier and faster. Right. Um, now, I suck at it. Don't misunderstand. Steve has, has been on the other end of the phone with me. And, and as I cried in, in my in my programming code and, and just said, oh, my God, can you just do this for me? Um, but I learned that that thousand dollars that it cost me in my college took five minutes right that's the thing that got me and and that led me to the you know the the customer should own the code and that's where that came from is that that thousand dollars was um ridiculous right just flat out it was ridiculous and um i still think it was ridiculous 15 20 years later the the thing that that some integrators don't get, and especially integrators that like, no, no, we'll, we'll we we need to maintain the code. I fired that integrator, right? It it, it was it was it, that what they lost out of that by not giving me the code and not giving me the ability to adjust my own code was they lost every other piece of of work that I ever did at that college because I never went back to them again. They wouldn't give me the code even after the thousand dollar upgrade or uh, adjustment. So the next time I had to do anything in that room. And it was probably about two or three years later, I stripped everything out and then we replaced it all, including a new brand new control system. And by that time, I knew how to do it myself. And I did. Right. So I designed the system myself. I, I designed the I we installed it ourselves. I wrote the code myself. And that was because of the inflexibility of understanding that there are some end users, there are some colleges and universities where it's either more economical or it's just faster for us to do it ourselves. Um, I worked for a college in, in Illinois. We don't have any money in Illinois, right? We're something like 
$500 billion in debt. Who the heck knows? And so we had to find faster and, and more economical ways to do things. And so that's where that came from, right? Was my love of, of programming really came out of two things, was a necessity, but it was also the, the you know, part of it was was Kevin, right? And his, and his skill as an instructor, but also it was the realization of, holy crap, I can do anything, right? I can do anything with this code. And that power and that flexibility was really, really intriguing. James, I'd imagine you can relate to that story. Oh, I definitely can relate to that story. Uh, working in higher education, I, funny enough, is actually end of this month, I will be giving not only a, the keynote at the MCUAV Summit, um, I will also be giving a session on why it's important to have an in-house programmer. Um, so to me, having an in-house programmer is very valuable. As just to the points that Tim was mentioning, and to add on to that is we know our true end users. We know what works for them, what doesn't. I still remember I had a disagreement with my old CIO on a project where I wanted to do the whole project in-house. He wanted to outsource 90% of it just using my code. We fought on it. He won. He's a CIO, won out. He, he Invaluable point. We didn't really have the resources, the bandwidth to do the full project. We had four buildings going on at one time. Wow. So yeah, it was uh, two buildings on our main campus, and then we were opening up our remote campus, so two buildings there. So his goal was to have the um the remote site done outsource and he's like it's going to be your code i'm like all right so i wrote the code for the building provided it to the integrator i get a call back and they're like our programmer has some question for you and he he was going for the program he's like well why are you doing it this way we never do this anywhere else i'm like i understand that i tried doing what you're doing and my faculty flipped out they didn't like it. I mean, it was as simple as the document camera. We all know you can physically see the document camera there. And having it on the projector is great. No need to have it on the local preview. My faculty members flipped out when it wasn't on the local preview. They were like, it's not working. But it is working. So we've always had it switched where document cameras go to the local and the projector. And their program couldn't understand why we were doing that and they're like we don't do this anywhere else and like i said i didn't care I, this is what my faculty wanted and that's how we're doing it yep i mean i i totally agree too the you know the idea of being able to i mean one i've, I've always taken a, a stance that the the code has to be part of the deliverable because nobody should be in a position where they have something that they can no longer work with and and they're they're pretty much locked in but the other yep. part of it i think to both of your guys point um making those small changes is so much more efficiently done by somebody who can be there and can be right in front of the system and and is, is a lot more hands-on so now, that's a really good point now let me say one thing really quickly because and this is not to change my position i still think that the customer should on the code right do you know what misunderstand what i'm going to say if you are the customer and you own the code and you screw it up, then you pay to have it fixed, 
right? Yeah. So it, it is a two-edged sword. Don't misunderstand, right? You absolutely have every right to that code. But the integrator or whoever else you bring in to fix it, once you've jacked it up, that's also on you too. A hundred percent. I mean, I have that, like right now we are in talks about the programming of our new building. And one of those things brought up by the integrator, and I totally understand the sense was they're like, if we give you the code, we want you to sign a waiver saying, if you make any changes, it's not on us. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with that. That makes sense if we do that. So we're still working out the whole things on that end, but I would, like Tim said, if you're going to take ownership of that code, you have to not only like we get for the pros, but also the cons behind it. Yep. I'll take it even further in saying that it's important that you understand what it is too, and you keep good records and you have good version control and you document. And because if it, the, the power could also be used against you, as you guys are saying. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, so kind of wrapping this back around, one of the things that I think is important is that we're talking about these things, which again, brings us back to podcasts. So um, what are some things, Tim, that you've learned over the years through, through hearing all these conversations and doing the many podcasts you have done? And um, how do you think that that's benefited your, your career in the AV world? Um, it's so a couple of things. The it, it's introduced me to an awful lot of people and some really great folks who you maybe not you you normally wouldn't have run into, right? Um, I've made no bones about the fact that I, I I live in St. Louis, right? Grew up here, and I would have never met you, Steve, or or you, James, in the normal course of just life, right? Even you know, even my first time at Infocom, some somewhere in the 2000s, right? Um, Chris Neto and I have had conversations. I think his and I uh, first Infocom was was roughly the same year, and he and I didn't meet, right? Uh, he was he was a, a consultant uh, uh, at the time. He worked for a a, a, um, a drug manufacturer, and I worked for a college, right? We had we did not run in the same circles. We did not. We were not interested in the same things. We were one, we were two of, of, of 30,000, 35,000 people. And this has given me the ability in the vehicle to meet some really, really great folks. And, and I'm going to pick on Steve for a second. Um, you know, St Steve is, gives me a lot of credit, but I, I would point the credit back to him because Steve emailed me and said, hey, I think you should do a programming podcast. And I said, that's a great idea. You should do the programming part. Right. So, you, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it allows stuff like that. Right. It, it's uh, Adrian Boyd, which uh, Adrian works for, um, for uh, D10 now, but Adrian is here in St. Louis. Right. But even then, right. I, I didn't know Adrian existed until he reached out to me. And the reason he reached out to me is because I had, I'm, I'm the big dummy that, that turned on the microphone and, and, and did a podcast 10 years ago, right? So uh, it's just the connection and the stories that I've been able to, to hear and the stories that people tell me have been really, really great and really, really enriching. But it all, that that helps me um, in, in, in the podcast creation as well as, as in my day job now as, as a marketer because talking to people and, and, and hearing their stories and, and giving them the bandwidth and the uh, margin to tell those stories really helps um, me as, as somebody who is 
looking at the stories, right? Looking at at the news articles, looking at what's coming out of you know SCN and and, and, and other um, publications, because then I can say, oh, well, th- this matters because this group over here is having an issue with that, or this matters because of X, Y, and Z. I don't have those all all those experiences, but you do, right? And and you do. So hearing those is is incredibly valuable. Oh, I I agree with that. I mean, take this down two different paths. Is the first one is actually my first Infocom that was at when Infocom was down in Florida in October. Um, I still remember the whole situation. We were at a after party. I actually think it was a CTI one. I walked in with a whole bunch of the HEPMA higher ed folks. They all gathered and they were talking. I started walking the floor and I hear one of them goes, Hey, James, we're all over here. And I go, I know. And they go, where are you going? I'm like, I'm networking. I went over and I started talking to Tim. I hung out with Steve. I met Megan. I, I started talking to other people who aren't part of higher ed and building the circle there. And then also going to the whole podcast at, uh, Avenue is I have really expanded my knowledge listening to a whole bunch of podcasts. And one of the areas I really feel, and not just technical, is the diversity stuff. Like listening to you, even AV Nation, when they have do their Black history and their women history, like those guests are like hearing their stories. And it's like, okay, because as you say, Tim, I'm a white man like we don't go for those experience so hearing from the people who do and learning and involving is very key and i think uh has opened my eyes a lot yep absolutely i i couldn't agree more (laughs) i i I actually it's funny that you say that you remember because i remember us meeting too at infocom tim and you were up on this this was the year that you were in the aviation was set up in the in the corridor in the walkway, yep. I, I believe. And I remember you being up on like a, a a riser, probably doing a show, and we waved to each other. It was like we knew each other because yep. we had talked through podcasts. I mean, and and to me, I, I think that that that's one of the the greatest benefits that you 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 get to express yourself, but you also get get to be. Uh, known by other people without uh, even before you've met them oh it is and and really quickly because I, I i know steven well enough um and he and i are similar in the fact that that we are are both hopelessly introverted and i tell people that and they look at me sideways and they don't believe me when i tell you tell them that i'm introverted i, I am right that that is my natural state and um, but but doing a podcast and being behind a microphone and, and I I spent a number of years in St. Louis radio right so I, I being in front of a microphone is not you know unusual for me but it, it's it gives you the ability to not only listen to those stories but also it gives people a lot some people some people aren't so comfortable behind microphones but people um, that are will let themselves kind of be known right they'll they'll release they'll they'll unveil some things about themselves uh but steve that's very 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 much on point because then you also get to know uh, and you're also able to be known um one of the things that 
that I've made no bones about is, is the fact that, that I have evolved over the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years of my life, made several mistakes. Some of them are ginormous. Some of them are just, eh, you know, whatever. And I am, I am of the opinion in general that I am not the same person that I was five years ago or even a year ago, right? Because I constantly learn, because I do learn from mistakes and I, I learn from, from screwing up. I almost said effing up, but screwing up. And, um, you know, you know, that's, that's one of the aspects of, of being human and a podcast allows people to see that, right? It, it allows people to see the, the authenticity content in general, right? This is a more of a content and a little bit of a marketing, uh, spiel for a second content in general and, and, and creating podcast is a form of creating content. You have to have that authenticity. Uh, you know, the, the, the line has been that, that this next generation can smell a fake a mile away. Just for the record, so can us Gen Xers, right? We, we've been living with this for, for one or two years as well. And you have to be authentic, authentic, but that authenticity allows you to have an instant connection when you do finally meet that person face-to-face because you are known. I agree. And to show you being authentic, authentic is um, when Tim, when you reach out to me about building community and we mm-hmm. had that phone conversation Yep. next day, I actually was at work and I was talking to one of my coworkers and we were just spouting about things that were going on. It's like, Oh yeah. I had a phone call with Tim. Uh, from AV Nation and his jaw dropped and he's like you talked to Tim I'm like yeah I didn't know you listened to them but he's like how was he what, what kind of person is he I'm like he's the same way he's on his podcast down to earth awesome guy to hang out with like nothing I didn't think anything of it but he nothing talked- special James is what you should have said <laughs> exactly what I said <laughs> I was like he thought you were a rock star just put it that way Tim well, uh, we appreciate you, Tim, and I think that that's probably a good place for us to to stop before we start talking about things. Thank that you. We're gonna, yes. gonna go off the rails a bit, but but honestly, the the whole point, I I couldn't agree with you more, and I've based my business on that. Is you 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 are who you are, and and yeah. I think that especially in a technical industry, to your point, it, you're you're very easily found out when you 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 can't you you try to be somebody else. And that, that's, you know, CTSs or, 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 you know, this, this certification and that certification has a tendency to sometimes deodorize some of that. Right. And, and I am not in any way, shape or form saying you shouldn't get your, your CCNA or, or what, whichever certification you want to get. Right. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world is, is Mark Coxon because he is CTSAF, right. Cause he's a CTSD and a CTSI. Um, but but those certifications do not mean that you know stuff, right? That means that you could pass a test and that you had a base of knowledge at that time. It's what you do on a day-in, day-out basis. It's what you do on when you're on the job site or when you're behind the computer or when you're working with customers or whatever it is that you do on a daily basis. That's what makes you um, the value to this industry. Perfect way to stop. <laughs> Thank you for that. And we, we are going to continue this conversation uh, and, and, and talk with Tim on a, another episode. But um, until then, Tim, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about both CTI, Aviation, and, and all the things that you do? So St. Louis is in the intersection of Highway 55 and Highway 70. 
Um, just look for the big arch and you'll find me. Now, um, so I, my day job, <clears throat> we've kind of referenced this a couple times. A couple times. My day job is I I am uh, the head of chief marketing officer is my title, but but I uh, run the marketing department at CTI. Great group of folks. Uh, we were an integrator out of St. Louis with something like 33 locations now. I honestly, God, lose count. Um, and I, that's not a humble brag. That's just because, you know, we, we just lose count. Um, but uh, also uh, avianation.tv. So cti.com or avianation.tv. And one of those offices is now in New Jersey, which I appreciate. It is indeed. <laughs> not Las Vegas yet, though, James. Sorry. No, I... I leave New Jersey. You guys go there. So I got LA. I mean, does that work okay. Orange County? You know, I don't know. A couple of hours away. You got to deal that with is. Joe Wade then. He may or may not have gone out <laughs> to eat or drinks with one of our guys. Hey, we name drop him. He re- retreats. He retweets. So. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so James, how, how could people get in touch with you? Learn what you're up to. Uh, you can find me on the internet. Google me. You'll find me. But Twitter, AV underscore James King. Um, board member for HEPMA, writer for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine. Like I said, Google me, you'll find me. Very good. And for me, you could reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media and my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net and also write for various publications. And I must say my first podcast that I did that Tim gave me the opportunity is a state of control on avnation.tv. Please check that out. It's a good compliment to this show and would be very fine uh, choice by listeners uh, of this podcast. So please check that out if you haven't already. Um, for for us here, you please uh, listen, leave a rating, review. We can be found on YouTube, on uh, Google and Apple Podcasts. And we'd like to hear from you. So please reach out and we want to continue what we're doing. And we also want to make sure that our content is geared toward answering some of the questions and and clarifying some of the things that pertain to programmers or programming. And that's what it's about. So please uh, reach out. And if you're interested in being a guest, uh, we'll, we'll be happy to hear from you as well. So with that, this has been Ask the Programmer.